Hey, Corey here, and this is Everything is Marketing. Other marketing podcasts might give you the highlight reel or focus on a particular industry, strategy, or tactic, but this podcast explores marketing from every angle and allows you to get inside the head of the guest to really understand who they are and how they think. This episode is brought to you by Riverside.fm, and quite literally because it's what I use to record both my podcasts, Everything is Marketing, and Default Alive. But I was using Riverside long before they became a sponsor. I used to use Zoom until someone interviewed me using Riverside, and I just knew that I had to make the switch. Personally, I love it because they take local recordings on each side, which gives you a reliable connection, and the highest quality audio and video tracks. Separate HD recordings, an iOS app, automatic transcriptions, it's made specifically for podcasters. People like Guy Raz from How I Built This, Cortland Allen from Indie Hackers, and even Hillary Clinton uses it, if you can believe it. Check them out and all the other features they have at riverside.fm. One more time, that's riverside.fm. On the show today is Brian Wish. Brian is the founder of VW Missions, which works with creators and authors to scale their content and their products. I wanted to bring him on because Brian has worked with high-profile authors like Nir Eyal and Alan Gannett. Successful book launches are great case studies for what successful marketing looks like, and Brian has a lot of thoughts on the future of creators, content, and personal brands. So you'll hear about modern PR tactics, community building as a part of your marketing strategy, and how to make a book a bestseller. To start out, I love asking my guests this first question, which is, did you ever think that you'd be an entrepreneur slash uh, author slash consultant slash content creator, <laughs> however you want to categorize yourself, for a living? I think short answer is no. You know, long answer is yes. I. And it's funny, I wouldn't really just call myself any of those titles, you know, I like to say I'm in the business of finding paths and through that speaking or writing or doing all those things you mentioned, building a company, are ways in which I can do it. So I've never been so fixated on just having, being a title or being a, you know, X. I think there's a, I really think about the higher purpose behind why I do everything what I do and that was informed at an early age when I really started thinking about how not just to make money, but how to like make profit and do it in a very meaningful way. But to go back to your question, I, I just, growing up, I mean, I never really fit in to a lot of things. And I think the more, you know, I tried to fit in, the more I was kind of realized those boxes weren't for me. And I think I had to really learn creativity and, from a young age. And that really informed, you know, entrepreneurship was in a sense a vehicle that could exercise the muscles that were being untapped. And kind of where I started to find a lot of excitement. So it was a evolving process, but nothing that maybe out of the gate, I was like, yeah, I got to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. As most of us, right. It's a, it's a windy kind of road. You take the back roads to a lot of places that we end up, but how would you describe, like, just give people an idea. What, like, what do you do day to day these days? Yeah. So we work with a lot of experts in their given spaces. These might be executives, they might be authors, they might be CEOs, they might be investors, people who have done very well in their career. They're probably in their act two of their business. Or it could be musicians, it could be actors. We sort of work, you know, branch out in industries. But, you know, the general theme is they're in this act two and they've done well in their quote-unquote act one. And we take their expertise and we really drive their impact and their thought leadership online and craft their digital brands. And then we build the products around them. We write their books. We do their podcasts. We, you know, help them with their courses, but really help them create the message from the body of work over their career, deploy it on the internet in a way that's going to engage meaningfully with people, and then put the products around it to help them, you know, align, speak, do all the things they want to do. And so I really tried to think holistically around, okay, what creates a successful thought leader online, not just be a content factory or a growth factory or something just to like, you know, spew things out. Really like, what's the end goal of the individual client? How do we work to get there? How do we do it in the most authentic and aligned way to who they are? Hmm. So it's a big, it's a tall order, right? It's it's a big thing to do to say, hey, we're going to take, you know, someone's already been successful. Now we're going to make a a brand out of them, personality them. We're going to build an audience for them. We're going to basically partner hand in hand with them. Where does that expertise come from or the knowledge to even be able to do that in other words can you walk me through sort of like how you got to where you are today to be able to do those things yeah good question Corey. sometimes it's i don't even take stock of all the things that <laughs> <laughs> attributed at 28 years old to be able to do this and just for the context for the audience you know we have a team of 11 full-time that we've bootstrapped there's 30 almost 30 active clients 
who have all been quite successful. So there, there's an element of intimidation, to your point, taking someone who's crushed it in their act one and saying, okay, be vulnerable with us and give us the authority to craft who you are and for the world yeah, to see. Yeah. So there, it's, but I think it is the work I was meant to do. So just to kind of give you some context, and you can feel free to dive deeper in areas, but I'll give you kind of a skinny roadmap. Because I never fit in growing up, I and I also, you know, there was a divorce that happened young that really guided me, that really made me ask the hard questions early and maybe much more intentional early for not wanting to repeat the cycle. I went into college with a bull, bulldo- bulldozer kind of mentality, you know, blocked everything else around me. I had this predetermined GPS of, you know, I need to build the business successfully so that I can then go have the family and do that successfully. And, you know, I didn't know what the business was or could be, but I just, I knew I had to figure out the meaning first and then I'd figure out the money after. And so what I did first was I, the first three years of college, I kind of took my passion for sports and business and I figured out at a young age, there was a business behind sports. I had no idea going into college there was a sports mm-hmm. business. That led to internships at the universities, you know, one at American University, then at Georgia when I went back to college. I worked with the athletic department at Georgia. And then I went and I worked an intern with the Hawks, Atlanta Hawks in Georgia one summer. And I went back to college. You know, I started getting all these experiences. And then I worked with this on-campus agency called IMG, which did the kind of sponsorships with brands for the audiences. And I started just getting my feet wet in, like, sports marketing. And I went back to college. I was leading a club called Professional Entertainment and Sports Association. I was leading the sports division of the kind of marketing side of it. And I put together a game night with the Hawks. And I invited, like, the chief revenue officer to speak, the CMO to speak. And I I built those relationships during the internship. And so then I sold, like, 70, you know, tickets on campus you know, by just hawking students to come and, you know, getting selling, setting it all up. And at the game night, it was really impactful, right? I saw wisdom of sports executives talking to a group, and I was the intermediary between it all. But what was more impactful was at halftime, you know, so it was a game night. And at halftime, I had this moment, it was like this, like, lightning download to my, like, just, like, soul, I think. I... I looked around in the whole upper deck, you know, I think from a marketing perspective, you'd appreciate this. The whole upper deck of the, you know, it was called Phillips Arena. I think now it's State Farm Arena. At the time, it was empty. And it was just like our college group and then some like scattered fans around. And I, like the question came to me, why isn't every seat up here filled with a college student? And so after the game, I kind of got this, this goosebump moment I'll never forget. It was like driving back on the bus, and I couldn't stop thinking about it. So I, I got back, and I reached out to the head of sales, and I said, do you guys work with college students? You know, like, I was so naive. And, but he was like, no, you know, we've had such a hard time with the transition, you know, you know, with student leaders and groups. And I was like, I bet I could do it. So I built a literally a campus program across eight universities. I figured out Georgia first and I did when scaled the program across eight universities. And basically it became a two hundred thousand dollar plus a year ticket sales program with the data and all the things that came with it. And pre COVID it, you know, that's what it was at its peak. And and that was like my first experience into like you said, what gave me the skills, right? I learned gra- about grassroots community. I learned about outreach. I learned about how to like unite people around a common shared vision. I had to learn how to communicate. I had to learn, like, I, I was, like, my first foray into entrepreneurship, but it was more more, more or less entrepreneurship. So I had a really special opportunity to enact a big division on a, <laughs> a professional sports team. Like, you know, I was in college, you know, and they were taking advice from a junior year, sophomore. And so that was, that was, like, kind of the first thing that kind of lit me off. And then... With that transition to, you know, Corey, I, I was I was beating down this path of like what's meaning and purpose and I saw on your website you were talking about meaning, mastery, autonomy, purpose to inform entrepreneurship. I I had mastery, I had fair, you know, some autonomy, but the purpose like it wasn't aligned. And I just felt empty inside in the sense that I was like I look started looking down ten years out and like I did not want to be in the corner office of a sports team. Like that is not for me. And so I also hit kind of a low moment between my junior and senior year of college and started doing a lot of writing. 
and a lot of just personal development work for the first time in my life where I was able to like kind of look at my life in the mirror and be like, holy crap. And um, started questioning why I was doing the things I was doing. I started to uncover parts of my past, not maybe to the root level I have in the last you know, four or five months, but it was enough to like really transform me. So when I came back to college, sports really didn't matter to me. It was just a means to an end. And that led me to starting a writing platform called Wishdish, which became an online platform for about 800 people to share these very meaningful stories about overcoming mm-hmm. challenges. And I was getting kids on the sports teams. I was getting, you know, people across the country to just like submit these super vulnerable stories about who they were, what they came through. And I saw, you know, it was through that experience that, and I took all my savings from the Hawks and Braves and everything else because the Braves were part of the sports program. And I took all the money, I graduated, I didn't take the job in New York, and I went heads down on this content platform. I didn't understand branding at the time, but I gave it all I got. And and that taught me about content, and that taught me about writing vulnerably, and how that inspires people through a message, and really informed kind of my approach to content. Because when you have, when you're an individual, you can really help other people through sharing your story. But everyone talks about sharing your story. It was like how it was done and like the vulnerability and the heart that goes into it, you know, marketing tactics and things that still are embedded in the process of today. So it was through that where not only did I have a shared vision, I had a grassroots strategy, but then I learned how to do content and distribution. And, you know, as we were talking about earlier, a lot of partnerships to really grow the platform. You know, I had probably 30K that I was deploying over a year and a half before I ran out. I had to be as scrappy as possible. I had to, you know, I had a team. I didn't know how to do half the things I was doing. I just (laughs) going off gut. But it was incredibly meaningful. I went broke, you know, realized I couldn't do it anymore. And so as as I'm talking, I just hope it's, it's like I'm building these these tools and putting them on my tool belt. I don't know exactly what the tool belt is going to end up creating, but I knew I was picking up skills that felt aligned and I was doing it as part of things that I believed in. And then the next thing that I went and did, I reflected on Wish Dish and I was like, what do I need to do to build a successful business again? What does that look like? And I realized the thing I kept the signal that was present to with Wish Dish was everyone was like, you need to rebrand. And I thought rebranding then was logo, tagline, this, that. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I realized it was it was much it was much deeper than that, right? It was, it was structural. It was about messaging. It was about everything you build a brand around that I was missing the concept of, right? It wasn't the stories alone that was going to make the platform stick. It was the messaging, and I, I didn't understand that then. And so I went and I worked with a venture capital firm where I could take my content and community skills, and then learn the brand because they had a very strong brand and a very strong message but they didn't actually really know how to connect the dots on content community. So I was able to go in there and build a community in 70 plus countries that drove strong gill flow to the fund and put in that a scalable system like I did for the Hawks and Braves plus the content side of Wishdish and then bring it all together under one roof with a strong message. And it was like, boom, I was like kind of like the triangle, brand, content, community. And that was an empowering experience. I met some of the brightest young entrepreneurs around the world. The fund was called Kairos, now it's called K50 and then it's like, Kairos Venture Studio now, so it's kind of split off in a number of different forms. But it was a very powerful organization when it was kind of in its prime and peak. Now, you know, doing good work, it's just different. Um, and, and similar to, so so I was kind of building this toolkit, and I was always asking myself, because if you remember, I'm on this predetermined GPS. It's, it's been a big hindrance, but it's also been a big, you know, it's helped, it's gotten to me where I am. So there's good and bad in all of it. And so I was like, I still, I still got to build the business. Like, I'm not there yet, you know? So the question was, what do I need to do next? What, what's next? I knew I wasn't ready inside to launch again. I just, you know, I, I've gone off a lot of gut through this whole thing. And, but I knew I needed, I think when I reassessed, I said, I, okay. I said, to do what I want to do, I say, I need to learn what a CEO does, like how a CEO lives, how a CEO operates. And I was like, I still think I need to understand more about content distribution and PR and kind of some of these areas of, of focus. And so I, I remember, like I wrote out after Kairos, I wrote on the sheet of all the things that I like needed to acquire, I felt before I'd be ready again. And building a personal brand was actually like one of them. I would never forget, I was sitting, I was still living at home. I can move back from Georgia and my dad was like, you have four months left to, to live here and then you gotta go out on your own, blah, blah, blah. And so. <laughs> Yeah, it's like 23. It was not a great place uh, to be. But anyway, so I wrote out all the things. 
And I was trying to figure out my next step, my, my path more or less, and uh, professionally. And I was, I remember I was at the Forbes conference. Well, I'm sorry. I moved back home from DC from Atlanta. And I met some people in the GW chapter from Kairos. And they were like, you got to meet Alan Gannett. Alan had sold a couple of businesses, really good marketer. You know, it was just DC's like top entrepreneur. I mean, you know, cl- class act. And uh, I met Alan for lunch. I thought it went awful. It's the story. He puts <laughs> me with like, tw- do you know Alan? Or- no, but I've, you know, familiar with him. I've seen him and read yeah. his book and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he blitzed me with like 20 questions on like the first meeting. And I was like, I was so dumbfolded, like dump, I just dumbfolded, like, or whatever the term is. And I, I remember walking out, I gave him like a think hammer and think, you know, I remember walking out and I was like, that was the biggest embarrassment of my life. <laughs> and uh, so I was at the Forbes conference kind of finishing my thing with Kairos, you know, three weeks later, I get an email from him and it was like, Hey, you want to run my book launch full time? Just me. I, I have a lot of stuff going on at the company. I need someone. I said, I don't, he's like, I don't want to work with an agency. Like, I think you'd be great. And, you know, when I kind of looked back on the sheet of the things I, I felt needed on my toolkit, that aligned. Someone who had been very successful, someone that I could learn from, all the pieces. So I'm just trying to give you, like, the trajectory and, like, the toolkit of, like, how I built it to say what, how am I qualified to do what I am today. Yeah. And so... I worked with Alan for about a year and a half. It was like CEO warfare training. He, he absolutely kicked my, you know what, like he was very hard on me. And I asked him to be, I told him early, I said, I want constructive feedback. I want to get better. You tell me, I said, I'll listen. He taught me about personal branding in a way. Like I was managing a lot of his stuff. I was seeing it all behind the scenes. I was bringing in the brand, I was bringing content community, but I was able to see PR from him. I was understanding distribution. I was understanding how to build a newsletter. I was understanding all the components that when integrated effectively under an individual's brand could really make a platform fly. And then also what I realized was that I wasn't marketing a book. I was, I was marketing an individual and the book was an extension of the person. And when I had that moment, like six months in, I was like, holy crap. I said, there's probably six, I'm sorry, there's probably hundreds of Allens in this world, maybe thousands, right? As a total adjustable market. I said, what if... You know, and at that time, I was there were issues with the publishing process, the PR process. Like there were so many, like all the vendors I had to kind of manage, and then bring in myself. And I was just like, this is a crapshoot. Like this is, this is no fun. And like it was fun. Like I, but like I was like, this could be so much better. And so at moments about probably six months in, I started building a website for myself and all these things. So I was like, I'm going to create a kind of a brand platform where I could work with someone like an Allen and really set up all the processes A to Z so they can come in, they can develop a message, we can use the message to craft content, to go build audience and build profiles and kind of connect with that and start start that process, build the PR machine, okay, and then let's layer in the book, the speaking, the you know divisions after. So when someone comes to BW Missions and we're rebranding, so you'll see it in the spring, it's kind of a fun little, it's a big, 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 big left, but where will be be the place to come in and like build a brand and do it the right way and uh, have all the pieces involved opposed to Corey, you don't need to go hire a PR firm for 4k a month and a web firm for 5k a month to, you know, and just like all these vendors. And it's just, it's, it's not scalable. It's not, you know, I wanted to bundle all the services together and democratize the industry and then create a scalable way for one person who has a vision and a dream to be able to go lift it and take it into the world after kind of reverse engineering what the most successful people have done. And so yeah. I'll pause. That was a lot, but I think it was all those last eight years of experiences that, you know, from like 18 to 25 or whatever, that then I could go take and then launch BW missions. And we've just kind of went warp speed and I've had a foundation and a kind of a house in a sense to put all my expertise, relationships and skill sets, you know, under one roof than to go build a business off of. So it's been a very organic process. And that's, I think that's what's given me the ability to get this far in this short amount of time with an incredible team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was going to be my next question was sort of like, okay, who was the first guinea pig for you right to be able to cut your teeth and experiment and to really you know prove out that the playbook works that you sort of you know you can find the the winning model or formula or sort of combination of services that you want to offer and it sounds like alan was that 
the perfect person for you. And you worked with him to launch the Creative Curve, right? Which did that come Correct. out in 2018? Is that right? Or 2019? I think it was 2017. 2017. Yeah, 2017. Okay. Yeah, cause it, yeah, 2017. Okay. And so Alan was full-time CEO. He was working on TrackMaven, but he was writing this book in the process. And so he hired you full-time to basically do everything for him. Like, what, what was side. that like? Yeah, what was that I mean, like I, for, I, for I, the book? I, I, I did do a few dry cleaning runs and dog sitting runs for him. <laughs> There's, I'm not going to lie. But, you know, it was setting up all this PR stuff. It was coordinating and organizing everything it was you know managing the content the community side of things it was the book strategy it was the b2b sales it was the one-to-one sales it was the national setup you know national bookstore book tour in five different cities across the country and i I created these grassroots i took the hawks and brave system i created these leaders and i got them to invite all their people and like each event had like 70 people and then you know and, and you know what i was inspired by alan's message you know i was inspired by what it came down to was I believed in Alan, but like the message that he was pushing out, like I felt if it got in the hands of the right people, what if it inspired the next great idea? What if it made people go take the leap, you know? And and so I was drawn to, okay, when this content got in the hands of the right people, you know, what's the impact it can make, right? And so Alan gave me a, a opportunity to get my hands as dirty as I wanted to. And, you know, it was, it was either I was going to succeed or fail. I was going to sink or swim. And to work in that environment, you know, it was, I felt it was every, I had every responsibility to take him as far as I could on my own, you know, and obviously mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. He brought a lot to the table. I had to kind of piece it all together because he just, there's only so much he could do. What I was so impressed with though is, you know, he had his nine to five in a sense with TrackMaven and I think was, you know, executed the business pretty well, got pretty far, but then I watched him come home and he worked eight to eleven, like every night. I'm not. And he was in the middle of a divorce, right? He was getting his company kind of merged, and then doing the book. And I was so impressed at his focus and the way he could compartmentalize and how he could think and and just, you know, it was a really invaluable experience. And they really informed and shaped a lot of you know my leadership and kind of my training for how I just live my daily life. And so. I've adapted for sure, but that without Alan kind of being that quote unquote master teacher, as he talks about in the book, for me, there's no way I'd be this far, far along. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to get tactical here for a second, if we could on sort of the the book launch and, you know, what you ended up learning and doing for him over that sort of, you know, 18 month kind of span in a period. I think that for a lot of people, when they think of launching a book and sort of you know, creating a, a bestseller, right, and successfully launching a book. They think about things like, you know, getting on the the bestsellers list and yeah. you know, doing like a PR blitz where you're sort of trying to, you know, book interviews on T V shows, but like especially in the last decade, yeah. maybe even the last five years, the playbook has really changed and what used to work doesn't necessarily work today and you have to right. really push the boundaries. So I'd love to know just, you know, what worked, what didn't work, yeah. a timeline, if you can, of sort of here's sure. what we did first here versus here's what we did yeah, later yeah. on. Yeah, let's do it. I'll mix this kind of square where it's fun to get the hands dirty, right? I mean, let's just take PR for perspective, you know. Um, I think the industry is needs a major correction. I think it's starting to self-correct. I think people, authors, and like the, the relationship between traditional publishing and the PR world is, is going to break. You know, the, for instance, book publishers, or sorry, book agents refer their authors to these big PR firms, then go get pitched on these, let's just say the New York Times and Good Morning America. And like, that's great, but it's short term. I would much rather have a platform than go on Good Morning America. And I think we're entering this le- le- um, level of personalization where if you don't really build a brand, like you're going to miss out. It's almost like if you don't get ahead of this, nft space and the you know web three like you'll get left behind it's the merger of all of it and and so for instance i remember it was 2017 and i reached out to my friend jordan and i was like hey i'm working with this guy i was like i knew you ran a podcast and i said to him how would you go about pitching if you were me would you you have me pitch or would you like how do you like to be pitched and he's like well i hate when agencies pitch me He's like, it's just awful. And like, that's that's pretty normal today. So I designed a way where I did all the outreach through an email. Alan said, we're going to get 100 plus PR 
placements. That's a tall order. So I did the research right. on like <laughs> 300 plus PR emails, everything I could find, right? And I reached out through Alan and said, and, you know, this is a pretty scalable framework. We've done it internally and said, hey, like, here's why I align with your show. Here's how I'm going to help your audience. And, um, you know, would love to be a guest. Here's my book coming out. And basically it was blanket copy and I changed 10, 15% of it based on the show, right? To make it personalized. So that was one. Let's just take, let's just take B2B, you know, the book, book sales. So, you know, you kind of got to take an individual's assets and realize what, what do they have that's valuable to other people, right? And, and kind of match that. So Alan came from a B2B network, okay, in the sense where his customers at TrackMaven and other, you know, he had a big B2B network. And so we sold, I mean, I don't remember how many, but it was probably close to 10,000 bulk deals before the book came out, bulk sales, because basically we created, or I I think Alan did most of this, but we created a letter and basically said, here's my book coming out. And at the bottom of it, it was like, I'd love to come speak to your organization about it. And it was, and it was like handwritten or it was like personalized to a degree. They got a galley copy of the book. And then there was a follow-up campaign as well. And we ran it through Contactually. Now Contactually is kind of shutting down. But, you know, it was like the scale mail and kind of the follow-ups and all of it. And it was great, right? And then that led to a lot of speaking opportunities because people said they were interested. It's like, okay, my fee is normally X, but if you buy X amount of copies that's what really matters to get the momentum going great uh, i see so yeah. so that was that was really effective um then another thing i did that i was like alan this is like linkedin like early 2017 so distribution was you know it was like tiktok and alan had this show and she still runs i think called alan asks it was getting just major like traction. And I was like, wow, this is a phenomenal asset. And so it was my idea. It was mostly on LinkedIn, right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. And, and you know, we were talking about partnerships earlier and all the stuff I learned with Wishdish. I was like, wait, I was like, this is going to come into play. So I took the show and I kind of used it as a bartering asset. So like I reached out to the head of the morning, but I knew the head of growth at morning brew and he introduced me to Alex and Austin, the founders. And I said, Let's let's do a swap. We'll we'll have Alex on the show and kind of do something, and Alan will film. We'll get you know like thirty forty thousand views, which is normally what it got, and then we'll get in the newsletter. And you know, so we we did that, and so I started figuring out this recipe where I could like swap assets, right? Being tactical, it's like Alan had something of value, a platform of distribution, a show. Took two minutes, and we want to like feature the book, right? And so that was pretty easy for some of these higher lever, you know, shows or, or people that we wanted to get in touch with because there was something of interest to promote who they were in return promoting him. And that's where like the partnership angle really like took off and where I was able to leverage that, right? And at the same time, like it was cool because I could kind of mediate between it all because again, Alan didn't have the time. And so it's like, I could create win-wins for both parties and you know gain respect in the sense that like i wasn't just some kid like making asks you know and like some pr agency like it was very authentic and yeah. it wasn't like i was this big pr firm and so that that scrappiness i think really lended itself to connect to like people who are also really scrappy and kind of found their way through i'm trying to think of other things i mean another thing we did was well we didn't do it specifically but we've done it well off of Alan and some launches after that I've ran and kind of now my team runs like building pre-launch communities. So it's really important to build a platform prior to launch. And so, you know, you have a great platform on Twitter, you know, you have 13,000 plus followers and, you know, a lot of people in like 20, 30 people engage with your tweets and, and, you know, off of each post, right. Or tweet or LinkedIn post, taking that meaningful engagement and then turning those people into like, pre-orders so what we did was all the people who liked and commented on things we we asked them to pre-order and then we put the people in the pre-order into a launch group and we got their email and we got their sms and then we gave them assets to go promote and then they helped drive you know the early traction of the book you know like for near al you know when we did indistractable we got like 900 people in his in his launch group and that was 900 pre-orders and 900 plus people to, you know, the thousand true fans method. But again, Nier had a big audience 
you know, across channels. And we had been working on it for almost a year, year and a half prior to launch. And so there's an element of timing, you know, you got to build up the, the space and be known, you know, for a while to like gain that credibility. So when you do bring a product to life, you're not just like the kind of author who goes in the shed for a year and a half and then comes out and says, I have a book, but then no one knows about you. So yeah. Yeah. there's an element of getting out there, being valuable to your, you know, being, helping people so that when you do come out with something, it's not like, it's, it's not like you're asking people to do something difficult. Like people already are like really appreciate how you've helped them. They want to be a part of your message and you, you know, activating them to spread it and being a part of what you're doing. You know, this was all going back to like what I learned with the Hawks and Braves and Wishdish, like taking a shared vision and a shared message. But now this was for an individual, right? And so we kind of built that in. And so like all these different quote unquote recipes, you know, plus the consistent sharing of content in a very valuable way, learning how to craft a voice and a message, the thought leadership to build that, to build an audience around it, right? So all these different ingredients, right, cultivated brand over time. Like building a brand is a marathon, especially for an individual. It's always changing. It's always evolving, but it needs to be centered under a core foundation. And mm -hmm. so all these different pieces, I started to piece together, and that's where, like, everything really... I saw a way to kind of build the pie in a unique way. But for those, those were like some of the tactical strategies that stick out. Feel free to ask. I hope that. Oh yeah. No, those are great. I mean, I just feel like some of it, so much of it today comes down to like hustle and it's never going to be like this one silver bullet. It's just going to be a combination of these things here and there that you sort of, you know, climb the ladder and you get closer and closer and they all combine together to something, you know, that's great. Like, like you said, you had the, Alan show on LinkedIn, you had the swaps that you did, you had the, the B2B sort of bulk orders through speaking companies, but was there any other tactics like that, that, um, you know, contributed to that whole pie that maybe, you know, people wouldn't think about today, or they were a little bit more on the edge of, you know, being a little bit more creative or something new yeah. or interesting that hasn't been done before. I, mean, I think it, there's an element of like learning how to shape your message to a person in an audience. So for instance, like my friend, Chloe Belingia, she was, I met, I met this girl when I was doing wish dish and I was like, I need a website developer. So I reached out to people at Georgia Tech, so I was still in Atlanta, and like tried to get her to help. But, you know, she was a freshman at the time. I went through like her club's inbox, so she reached out. And so we, we, we remained friends. And so by the time she was a senior and I was a few years out of college, she was running TEDx Georgia Tech, right? And so I was also responsible for trying to get him a lot of speaking engagement. So I remember like going to Alan's office and I was filling out all the speaker applications for him. And I took the talk outline and had to apply it to all the different places we were applying and Georgia Tech was pretty cool. And so essentially like given their engineering focus as a school, we, we titled the talk, you know, engineering creativity. And it like really stuck. And I think that was Alan's idea, right? Alan has a very natural way of boiling things down to their essence and being able to think strategically. And I think that combination is pretty lethal. I'm only good at, I think, building things out once I see the simplicity in them. So, you know, I, Alan could, like, make something really simple. And so I think you know, tactically it's, like, really understanding the person that you're trying to influence and persuade on the other side, boiling something that you're trying to see down to its simplest ingredients so that you can kind of create the harmony between the two. And being able to do that over and over again, I think, really created a lot of momentum. So, like, the speaking was important, for sure. And, you know, because instead of being one-to-one, -one, you now can be one-to-many. And that was really cool. To your question, nothing's, like, jumping out that's, like, glaring. I think the bigger idea in all this is as you build a brand and you have a message, you can kind of create this intellectual property, though, off that brand. And so we're being tactical and like thoughtful about this is building out. Like when you have a book idea, it's like creates a set of IP. There's research that goes into it. You can build a course, you can build a book, you can give a talk. You can literally create a product line off a content extension of a core message. So it's like you have a Christmas tree in a sense, like the holidays are coming up, but you have a Christmas tree. The extensions, like the branches, the presents under the tree, like those are the kind of products in a way, but the stem of like the tree is that message. So you can, you can kind of create these different lines of, of presence and they kind of all represent maybe different product lines around, a, you know, an extended message from that tree. It's like Adam Grant, he's known for leadership, 
but you know he had the give and take and now he has um uh, oh, the book on, on learning i read it it's great but think but, again think again thank you but again it's it's all very similar in in content under kind of a certain umbrella of leadership and organizational behavior but he can give a TED talk to each book. He can have a different, you know, course to each book. He can have, you know, and so being able to think about how these leaders at the highest level have have built audiences and then created product and content lines off of kind of a core message is fascinating. And then the the behavior change that can then go net result within the community. So I know we're getting more higher up philosophical now, but I think from a tactics perspective, it was so much easier for me when like, when representing Alan to lead with something that I believed with as a message to make the tactics kind of easy, you know? Because mm-hmm. if I didn't believe in, in the message or the behavior change it might inflict on a community, I wouldn't do it. And so I think it's really important when you are tactically talking to someone, helping them understand more the purpose behind the message, not just like what you want out of it. And so... I was always really, I tried to always be super clear in the communication of like actually why I was doing it, like the whole Simon Sinek thing. Like it was very important to me that it came from an uh, authentic place. And so that's, I think, the last thing I would add is like understand the big picture of it all and like how it all works, like the, the train operates, but then like you have to understand what actually moves the wheels and what gets the wheels kind of lubricated. And I think that's just having a really clear purpose to like keep it going. Yeah. Yeah, and there's this interesting kind of balance or dance you have to make between there's like the product and monetization side of things where it's books and courses and talks and trainings. And then there's sort of the the content and the brand and sort of everything that you do that drives things to the monetization to the products. And then there's the mission and the vision and sort of like the distilled, you know, framework and sort of, you know, umbrella idea behind it, whether it's around, you know, like I said, leadership or organizational psychology, or if it's near y'all, right, it's around productivity and, and focus, or if it's Alan Gann, it's around, you know, creativity and, and, uh, and creating engineering, creativity, things like that. Do you, do you normally start more with the, the content? And you say, okay, you know, we're going to create content that we're going to find, you know, the mission, the sort of umbrella theme later. Yeah. Or do you really, really have to start good, with really the theme? Good question. Yeah, that's a really good question. I, the best answer is it depends. So, for instance, when I inherited, like when we as a business inherit Alan or Nier or, you know, people who maybe come with to us with the message, they might have a, a lot of the content in place. And... They may have some audience, which actually makes it easier. They just don't know how to activate it. So, if, like, it's our job. We're going to pour gas on the fire, more or less. Like, we're, we're going to really have a lot of leverage in shaping the arc of their trajectory because they've already laid a bit of a foundation, which is great. Now, what excites me about what we're doing is a lot of people don't. They're not that far along. So when they come to us, just to say those people in their act, too, they've been very successful, as I've mentioned but they have no idea how to do this. So it's like we get to kind of work with the raw materials from scratch and build the message in the brand and then go, you know, put the products in place. And so what I learned early is if we were going to kind of integrate all the pieces of this, we need to think about all the pieces of the pie. So we really needed to build out the brand side. So we were really doing like the middle part, like the content in the community. And that was great because it created a nice scalable retainer model for the business to sustain and grow. But then I, I figured out we really need to get the brand part of the business right first, the visual identity, the structural identity, and understand that. And so that's been our focus, you know, big time in the last year, year and a half, right? Where I see this going, right, is, is building out now the whole product side. And we've already started to on the publishing side. Like we have a ghostwriting division. We're, we'll go into publishing for sure when we can stand it up. We'll build the whole speaking platform side, you know, and really kind of build the big PR. We can do the micro PR very well. So to answer your question is it really depends on where someone is and what's going to be the best path forward for them based on where they currently are on the journey. It's exciting that we're starting to get a lot of people who have never done this work before because they know they want to and we get to show them the ropes. But it's been a really beautiful journey because we've been able to learn from people who have done it at the highest level on the other side who have kind of informed what needs to happen with the people who come into the funnel. And so that's exciting because... You know, it's like we get to catch people before they get to the publishers. And 
I just think it's rewarding and it can be more human that way. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the, the answer is if they already have content, then maybe you want to take the already, the, the theme that's already been emerging and you want to keep doubling down on that and maybe, maybe make it a little bit clearer. And then obviously, you know, maybe you sort of fill out the other gaps of, you know, they write the book or create the courses, create the, the speaking talk or the, the speaking gig. But if they don't already have content, then you really start from the foundational level with the theme and then you build the content and then you build the products. Am I understanding that right? Correct. Yep. Yeah. I think so on that note, yeah, I think a lot of people today, they want to, with the rise of the creator economy and sort of creators in general, people want to build these brands quickly and they want to build an audience. They want to have a platform. How do you do that from scratch? Like, could you walk me through a little bit how you essentially turn sort of that, you figure out the theme, you figure out the the umbrella mission, vision, sort of what you want to stand for, the the theme that you want to put out there. How do you turn that into content that does build an audience that does build a platform? Yeah, that's a great question. So part of it is it takes two to tango in this relationship that we have with our clients. If they're not going to show up in the world with our team, we're not going to be able to help them deliver content. Like I'll start there. We've had a number of clients who have just been not good clients because they they won't bring themselves to the table. And that's okay. We're learning at spotting those people much earlier. And like, we don't want those clients, right? We want the clients who are going to be fully invested in putting themselves out there and like owning who they are. And that's, that's scary. And I think that's why a lot of people don't want to do it is because to, to own, like, I'm, I'm going through this myself, actually, like to like fully own who you are. Like it's, it's, it's just a fear to it. And so, especially when it's authentic. And so once we establish, let's just call it the brand foundation, right? It's about taking that central message and then being able to thread it in a lot of different ways and start building some of that core brand IP and the content around it. So and our content team is meeting with the client every two weeks and we're kind of going through posts and we're delivering batches of content. They're approving it. We're starting to kind of experiment what works, what's not going to work. How, how is it going to, you know, do, how do we cut it up across these platforms? You know, how do we design, you know, how do we take the visual foundation and like design the quote cards? How do we break the long form post? How do we deliver an article? Is it a newsletter? Like how do we take these main ideas and kind of spread them around in a way that's going to be effective on a specific group of people? And what's the right order? If for everyone, it's different based on where they are. But, you know, if they're a therapist, you know, like we've worked with a few, it might be Instagram and TikTok for a while and then use that to a newsletter. If it's a business professional, it might be LinkedIn for a while and then to a newsletter, right? Because we want to own the audience. Like you have thousands of subscribers to your audience, but you built a big platform on Twitter and you're probably transferring your audience over very effectively. Same with us, you know, we're doing that at scale, right, for these people, but we need we need to understand the core message so that way when we are shaping and developing content, we can build a cohesive brand and they're not, you know, everyone knows those content creators are all over the place. They're either heroes and they think they're God's gift to the world and they're just like spewing out like how great they are or, or there's like, you know, the content creator who like you can see they're really trying, but it's not consistent, you know, and they're like one day they're talking about Pluto and the next day they're talking about nutrition and the next day they're talking about business. And like, that's fine. But again, you're not going to really build a, a tight audience. So it depends what you're going for. And, and basically once we start getting the content down, it informs how we build community. Who are we reaching out to? Who are we engaging with? You know, and we're not a growth factory either. Like we are going to build intentional communities that can lead to maybe a, you know, good hires or the sales conversations or PR conversations, and we're going to do it authentically. And I think there's a lot of firms out there that promise growth and, and scale or, you know, X, but it's just, we need to be very precise and tactical on what we do, how we do it and why we're doing it. And then another thing that we do to your point, I'm just telling you, you know, we have, we create OKR roadmaps for all of our clients, you know, six, 12, 18 months out, depending on how long, and we create two, three year goals. So, you know, our services in a sense, they're milestones that help people get to a greater vision. It's not about the transaction. Like the transaction is a means to get them to something much deeper to, to who they want to become. And so that's something that I think has really paid off. So it's just like, it's really helping them see the big picture and then back end into all the different things that we do to make things come to life. Mm-hmm. And to your point in the beginning about, you know, what, what holds people back? Do you feel like what 
what makes someone a, a bad client or basically someone who's not ready for some sort of like scalable, you know, media personality, however you want to, you know, define it or, or categorize it. Is it more that they actually don't do the work to show up and create the content and partner and, and, and buy in? Or is it more that they are afraid to show up and they don't want to sort of reveal their true selves and it becomes yeah. more of like an insecurity and, and fear I thing? Think, I think it's both. Right. And let me let me just answer from like a personal and vulnerable perspective and throw myself in the arena. I just have been on this six month personal journey and I've had to like face myself on like ever before. I mean, never done this work. And, you know, I look at myself from a thought leadership perspective. I'm not in the business to like be a thought leader of thought leaders. Like I want to help people find their path. I have a platform professionally to help them do it. I'll build the personal side and as we go and we'll become one brand, which we'll rebrand into. And I'm I'm really starting to share some of this personal content and it's raw and it's vulnerable and it's meaningful but it's also like it's really hitting a chord with mm. people but i am i have never been more scared to step it's like i've done it's like i built the business first before i built the brand <laughs> and now i'm like finally like actually building the brand story and like connecting it to the business for the first time which is might surprise some people who know me but it's like i'm finally connecting all the dots but to for me to show up, put some of the videos out that I have, they're called Westward, or to put out some of these articles, or to talk about like the emotional development work that I'm doing, it is terrifying. And it takes a lot to say like, okay, yeah, I've done all this work in like the, the closet that no one can really see, but now I kind of got to open it up and like kind of divulge and like now I need to go guide and help people. And so what happens is I think a couple things. The clients that haven't worked out, they, I think one, they're either scared, right, to really put themselves out there. And, and I, I faced it. Like, I remember the last video I put out, I've been sharing content for years, but I've never been, I've never been more anxious to put a piece of content out. And so I think there's an element that comes with like, oh my God, I got to like own who I am. And like to, to like say that and like, it's, it's actually more terrifying because you're, you're just real with yourself. Then, right? I think there's the other type who they just don't prioritize it. They like see the value, but they don't see the value. And that's hard because, you know, I, I believe they're doing themselves a disservice in the long run, but like, you know, it's, it's better that we learn that early so we can just dig on another client. It's going to be a much better fit yeah. and not waste our time. And so I'd much rather have committed clients who will walk into the arena, stand alone, belong on their own terms and like bring a group of people behind them but then also know like there's probably going to be people who are going to judge them along the way and uh, you know that's just part of the process of i think having a message is you're not going to appeal to everyone and you need to be okay with that yeah. right right you have to you have to detract as well as attract right what's attractive to some someone is going to be unattractive to someone else not to get too prescriptive here but let's just say that a client uh, is a great fit they're willing to do the work they're not afraid to put themselves out there what do you, what type of content do you start putting out? Like, what do you start doing for them? What do you start telling them to do? You know, hey, focus on, you know, one to two social media channels or like, are, are there certain ones? Is it yeah. more around long form blog posts? Is it podcasts? Is it, is it video? Sure. Like what sort of, what sort of recipes, you know, are you are yeah. giving to clients to say, here, here's the client, here's the content that we're going to create for you. Here's the content that we want you to create mm -hmm. also. Yeah, that's a good question. I think first and foremost, right, we've had to build in the necessary ingredients. So depending on the path and the shape of the arc that we want to take clients down, right, we can do it. So we have built it ahead of AV. We run three podcasts. We have a head of design who's great, right? He builds these identities. We have the brand. So I realized early that it was important to put the infrastructure in place to kind of piece together all the parts. So based on the path that we need to take a client down, we can do so. It is a prescriptive question only because, again, it depends. It depends on the industry the client's in. It depends, do they have a base audience? Usually, it's like, if I can make this simple, I think you do actually a good job at distilling things simply. It's like picking one or two channels max that you think you can really thrive on, and then using those channels to drive the email, and then using email to drive, because you want to have the owned audience, in my opinion. So, you know, I started on LinkedIn. I'm starting to slowly get into Instagram. I, I can't crack the Twitter nut myself, but we've been able to crack it for other people. <laughs> maybe maybe I will crack Twitter one day. But I, I've i used LinkedIn to drive hundreds of subscribers to our newsletter by outreach off of posts of people engage. 
LinkedIn's given me, I think, a platform to express myself in the way I want and also, you know, a channel to kind of grow, build an audience around the people I want. But, you know, Instagram, I'm starting to kind of see that and Twitter maybe will come along. So I think it's like picking one channel and figuring out distribution and how to drive that to a newsletter and how to put together a newsletter in a way that's valuable to the audience that you're building off these social channels. Um, and that's something I learned pretty early from like Alex Lieberman from Morning Brew and Keith Kenny, who, who ran a platform called Pursuit, and this now this, this he's Keith, the Keith Kenny feeding brand, and I really actually think he's he's a good egg, you know. And so like those those similar to that, you know, the long term view. Those are some of the approaches that like will embed into a client, and I try I try and see myself as the test test dummy who needs to go first in a way. To, okay, what's going to form the best way to kind of execute our services to help clients reach where they want to go so it's not too prescriptive right but okay well once you once you figure out what kind of content to do or where to maybe go first like that's you know i think people do pr before they have the platform so you know it's much better to kind of drip pr and once you have the platform for people to engage with but i think some people do pr first and they don't do you know and that was another thing i didn't understand about this whole industry like why would i what does it matter if i get an article in the new york times or forbes but then i have no one to share it with besides just their yeah. the audience they own so you know i i remember i had a client you know he, he wanted to do the podcast with me that i run and i said well, i'd love to have you on the podcast but why don't we build your platform up a little bit more so we can actually have you know the distribution of it reach its full effect on your channels not just mine right and so I think that really resonates from a tactical perspective. It's like build the platform, then the PR, then the product, you know? So, you know, it, it really just depends on where the client is in the journey and you as the, or me as the, at least the person right now who's kind of like in front of sales and product, you know, in my current role, in a sense, within the business, I need to figure out what the best path forward is for these clients when, they enter in the sales process and then that's going to form the strategy and the onboarding, you know, that the team kind of takes, takes from there. So it depends, but again, it's, re the goal is, you know, designing it in a way that's repeatable yet tailored to the client. Well, you said something interesting, which is that you want to build a platform before the PR and basically you want to have something to send people to and you want to be able to capitalize on the opportunities that you will eventually get pushing people towards, I think you said, you know, an, an owned platform like email. Could you talk a little bit more about like how you see the differences between different mediums and different channels, if you were, or <clears throat> the difference between social media and email and other tactics out there and how they relate to each other? Yeah, for sure. So I think some people have a natural comfort level or, you know, design for certain platforms over others, at least to start out. You know, Corey, like for you on Twitter, kind of might be your sweet spot, right? You've been able to amass a pretty big following. And if I were you, and I'm sure you already do some of this stuff, I'd take that following and figure out how do I drive them to my email list, right? And I'd figure out, okay, because email is a different medium. So what's the quote? The medium the medium is the message, right? So you're the way you're going to deliver the message on Twitter is going to be the different than how you're going to deliver it on LinkedIn. Um, and that was something actually that girl Chloe I mentioned taught me early. It always stuck with me. The medium is the message. And so, okay, now now you have, you're doing these podcasts and maybe, you know, the way you're going to do your newsletter is going to be informed by the audience that you're trying to impact. So if it's marketers and founders, now you know how to speak to them. You're just going to do it maybe in a bit of a longer form way that's digestible in an email format versus a short choppy way on Twitter. And just kind of that moment consistent cycle is a way that you, you know, by consistent figuring of Twitter out and growing that base, now you have more people to ask to subscribe, and it's just kind of the momentum and the fire builds. You throw some PR in there and you get some earned media, people who want to have you on their stuff, great, then you can kind of bring that back into your audience. And then, you know, it's just, it's like this ongoing cycle that, you know, after 5, 10, 15 years, it's like, wow, this person's actually like not just, you know, a bunch of BS, like they've been, they've been doing the grind and like they're consistent. And, you know, figuring out Okay, once you get one channel, okay, how do you take now? Now, if you, let's say you have Twitter figured out and you have email figured out. Okay, how do you point those two audiences? So let's say Instagram, and how do you point that to the next thing? You know, and you know the platforms are always changing, and that's why I think it always comes back to email, right? 
And that's why another, you know, not that I know a ton about this Web3, but, you know, something I'm starting to really get into from a community perspective and a creator perspective. But, you know, how does this all kind of tie into where things are going, right? And that's why another, I think it's important for people like you and me and people listening to maybe really pay attention to what's the boat that is coming and not miss it because I think it, it's what's going to integrate everything for the future and it would be very smart to get ahead of. So, yeah, I that's how I answer it. I hope I hope it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think like you said, it it all comes back to, well, one, the medium is the message, which I think is actually, actually puts the words to something that I've been like, trying to put into words for a long time which once i heard it i was like oh yeah i've heard that before and that makes total sense but basically there's something about you know what what platform you deliver the message on de- partially determines how you craft that content you know like tweets are inherently very concise and punchy whereas like you said a newsletter might be a little bit more in depth or behind the scenes and basically what can you share on certain platforms that you couldn't on others and how do you leverage that platform to deliver content that is optimized for it and that will, you know, make the most of that opportunity, but also how do they all work together? And that's one that a lot, a lot of people don't talk about is this virtuous cycle of, okay, how do you take your, like I said, your LinkedIn following and turn that into uh, an email following, if you were a, a newsletter subscribers, which can also then help you grow your Instagram following, which can then also help you grow your YouTube following or, you know, your podcasts or, or maybe you can barter and leverage that for other you know, PR opportunities where you borrow someone else's audience and you do a swap, you know, or you yeah. say, Hey, I'll feature you here. If you feature me here. And now you're, you're leveraging, leveraging this whole system that's working together instead of these, you know, independent platforms that you've built uh, the, where the sum is greater than the whole, right? I think is, you know, all these things working together is greater than the sum of each of those working independently, if that makes sense. No, that's phenomenal. I, I think you're absolutely right. And, and the thing is, is this, it's like, I don't want to be too functional here because there's an emotional element to these individuals and how they're showing up. But based on the strategy and where they're trying to go, what you do when and why you do it when is very important. And if you don't know how it's going to add up and create the momentum that you're looking for, you're not going to, you know, it's you're going to kind of fall on your face. I mean, or, or you're just not going to maximize the opportunity. And so there's times to make asks. There's times to do things. It's there's a, there's an element of chess to all of this, and I don't know. I think there's the creator economy. Will the people who win will not be the the short term thinkers. And I think there's a lot of short term faulty foundations out there that you look at and you're like, yeah, that's that's you can kind of read between the lines. And I'm not trying to call anyone out. I'm just trying to say that. I think there's a right way to do this and a wrong way to do it. And, you know, I'd, I'd rather take the long-term holistic approach because I think that's what's going to win in the end. Mm-hmm. What, what's been piquing your interest about uh, Web3 and crypto and, you know, creator or NFTs? I'll, I'll give you a second to think about that in that yeah, I've been noticing sure. that there's a lot of, you know, just trying to, like, keep my eye on, like, okay, what's the playbook that a lot of these, you know, new NFT projects or crypto projects are using? And they're leveraging Discord and communities a lot, which is a great, you know, owned platform and owned audience, right. if, you, if you will. They're leveraging a lot of early access lists and scarcity, right? And getting people, actually, they're getting their email. Indoor, they're getting, you know, some sort of uh, web authentication profile, right? Like someone's, you know, Ethereum address or, you know, they're getting them bought in either through an NFT project. But what's been catching your eye about the way that these new projects are spinning up and how they're building audience and getting traction? Yeah, that's a good question. So I'll answer by this. I am just trying to get educated. I had a meeting last week with the former founder of F6S. He ran Kairos in India, a really good friend of mine. His name's Santos. He's building a platform called Autonomy. And essentially, it's a no-code token platform. And to actually create a token with no code is actually very hard to do. But, you know, he said to me, he's like, Brian, you're one of the best community builders I've ever met. He goes, he goes, if you don't get in this, like, I, I would, like, I think you're doing yourself a disservice. And he goes, for you as a creator, for your company to have a token, and then for your clients. Because if you're building these audiences and communities for your clients, great. And then, okay, if we're writing books for clients or we're, helping them with podcast episodes or we're um, writing their content, why aren't we creating the NFTs for them, right? And so if we're controlling this assembly line of the brand, well, to me, this is just another kind of piece of the pizza that needs to be kind of thought about 
in, in thrown in. And so the idea of like giving the people in my community a way to kind of have part of the pie or it bought into some of the, the, the token, right? Um, that's on his chain is actually really interesting to me. And to create that opportunity for other clients to build wealth and like engage their fan base. And there's a there's a podcast about this on Andreessen Horowitz that I listened to in the spring that really just it's like wow, it's like I I could see it. And so I'm a very I'm a visual learner. Like I really need to get my hands dirty. So I, I I'll admit I'm very much at the beginning, but the the conceptually it's starting to make sense for why I need to pay attention. But I'm not one to just like, oh, let me just like go play around with some NFTs. Like I actually like, I think what's interesting is I have a real use case to apply to my life and with the business. I'm not just there to like dick around and like just like collect some NFTs for the heck of it. I think there's like a real <laughs> use case for why I need to be interested. Or I probably honestly wouldn't give it much time a day. But I think there's, it makes sense right now why I should have, why I should. I mean, let me ask you, what, 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 what have you been kind of exploring with it? Yeah, I think there's more recently, there's been a, a really interesting thought around NFTs and content. And so essentially giving people like an, a lifetime access to some sort of content that they can resell to other people to get access to that same content, where it's basically like selling your, you know, username and password to a course, but it, not right. A much easier, more fluid way or and actually in a way where you can also still capture some of the upside with the resale because you can build it into a smart contract. I think that's really interesting. I think using NFTs for yeah. community access, community yeah. perks, community tiers is really interesting. I think with a lot of content like books, right? You know, limited editions, first editions, you think about even things like, you know, a signed book to me is sort of a, you know, it's a physical NFT, if you will, which is a, a misnomer. It's an oxymoron in a way, but it's like that, right? How can you create some sort of special edition for super fans how you can create some sort of you know golden edition how you can you create some sort of limited run digital version of whatever content that it is you're creating i love that kind of stuff i think that's really fun it's really creative ways to spice it up so those have been a couple applications that i've been learning about and yeah trying to think about i love what you said about nfts and different community tiers i mean it's still early and that's what i like too it's like i don't feel like we, we've missed the boat but it's a boat that will miss if I don't think we figure out how to apply. So it'll be interesting how it all plays out. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, yeah. I mean, with a lot of the authors and sort of personalities you work with, you're in the forefront. So I'll be keeping my eye on what you guys do as well. But starting to wrap up here, who do you look to for inspiration and, and, or, you know, people that you listen to, that you learn from other authors or agencies or content creators that you think do a really exceptional job or you do something really unique just who's sort of top of mind for people companies brands that you take inspiration from yeah i'll tell you a funny fun story and then i'll share something that's interesting i went and i toured nike's campus last week or two weeks ago Oh, nice amazing and i it was it's closed off to the public but i found this girl at nike i went to college with and i just cold outreach and i said will you give me a tour and she's like i, I shouldn't but i will um <laughs> so i i think nike as a brand has always inspired me because it, it's again what i'm trying to do it's a set of products and services under a shared message nike really inspires greatness and achievement and, and just pushing forward and to me like It's not about, for me, just selling a product and making money. It's about creating a message that's inspiring people around something and the services and products just fulfill that. And so the walk around the campus was, you know, it was a dream come true. It was, it was beyond inspiring. So at a brand level, like doing that on the personal level for myself and through the business we're building, like that's, that's what I want to do and I will do. You know, it's going to take, that's why Nike has taken 50 years to build. It's, it's you know, it's a reason and then from people i look to um you know it's funny i really i haven't read a business book this year <laughs> and that might just for you, you. <laughs> um, i've read a lot of books this year on like empathy on emotion on spirituality on uh, i'm reading a book on power right now that's i think written very objectively and re read a book on masculinity so where I look for inspiration are, I think, in the areas of my life that I, I want to develop as an individual. I know that will make me better in business. 
and give me new skills. I read so many business books you know, in my early 20s. It's like I'm so fried <laughs> of business books. Like I just, you know, I just, I just don't do it um, as much. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, will I read business books in the future? I'm sure. So my reading and like where I look for inspiration is very intentional on like where I am trying to go on my own journey to make me just a more well-rounded person out of the tunnel, so to speak, as I've kind of, I think, broken that GPS I talked about earlier in the show. And I think next year, I think that reading will become a little more externally focused in the sense of more like global ideas and in places around the world where I've done so much like the kind of inside reading and like the business reading. I, I really want to build more of the global kind of mindset, which I have but in a worldly way, but I want to be more well-rounded around the events of the world and maybe some history, right? Just so I can connect to people of different cultures because I think I'm going to do a lot of global travel, you know, starting next fall. And so I, I really try and think about where I'm going and what I want to maybe have in my toolkit and then build the skills, relationships, content to help me get there. And that's been consistent with work. It's consistent in my personal development right now. And so that's... And that's like there isn't anyone in particular, you know. Like, I mean, there's 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 a number of people I know personally I go to for things. Professionally, I go like there's a, I just try and keep a tight knit group of people I can go to for help, and then find the help in published places and have those online mentors in a way. That's awesome. Well, final question for you. The title of the show is Everything Is Marketing. So when you hear that, everything is marketing. What does it mean to you? What comes to mind? I mean, we're always selling. <laughs> we're, we're always marketing who we are. We're always, you know, we're always trying to, to do things. And, and the way we show up and present ourselves is very important. I love it. Brian, thanks so much for coming on the show, being transparent, being vulnerable, being tactical as well. Appreciate you coming on the show. It was a blast, man. I can see why you've been so successful with it. Thanks so much. Thanks again to Brian for coming on the show and make sure to check out BW Emissions. If you can spare a moment, click on the link in the show notes and pop on Twitter to thank him for me for coming on the show and sharing everything he did today. And to wrap up, here are a few of my takeaways. First of all, I'm a huge believer in the model that BW Emissions offers by essentially partnering with creators on the content and monetization side of things. I tweeted about this a while back, but I think it's a huge win-win and much needed in the space. It wouldn't be a surprise to me if you know tech founders started doing this as well to build their personal brand as a part of their company marketing and corporate marketing as a whole. Secondly, Brian put into words what's been kind of mulling around in my head for quite some time when he said, the medium is the message. This is an important thing to note for your content strategy. The medium determines so much of what you create and how you create it and how often you create it and ultimately how that thing gets shared as well. And finally, book launches are a huge undertaking. They really encapsulate the idea of the 10-year overnight success because there's so much you don't see behind the scenes that make it seem like a huge success out of nowhere, and all of a sudden it's a bestseller. But in reality, there's so much work, hundreds of interviews, lots of pitches, lots of work behind the scenes for months and months, possibly even years beforehand. If you've got a question or takeaway you want to share from this episode, you can actually do so in the Swipe Files community. You can chat with guests of the podcast as well as a bunch of other top-notch marketers. Join a community that will help you do your best work and be prolific. Check it out at swifiles.com slash membership. You can also get my free newsletter, Marketing Weekly. It's a curated digest of the best marketing content in your inbox every Sunday. And finally, check the show notes for all the important links. And if you could do me a quick favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you are and leave a review so more people like yourself can find the show and help me grow the podcast. And with that, I'll see you in the next one.